Good morning. If you can open your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 15 through 30. As it is quite obvious, I'm not Pastor Jason. I am Ryan Rust, and I serve as a youth pastor here, and um, our pastor's on a well-deserved vacation, I think, in Oklahoma, Arkansas. I was like, why would you leave Texas? Just stay in Texas. But, you know. Um, it's truly an honor to to get to open the Word of God and teach it. So I'm I'm thankful that you're allowing me to do this. And without further ado, let's jump in. The Word of God says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the ruler heard this, he became very sad. Because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, as we open your word, we ask you that you would illuminate to us your truth, that you'd send your spirit here to reveal the eternal truth of your word. Pray that you would use me, speak through me, speak through my sinfulness, speak through my brokenness. We came this morning to have an encounter with you, not an encounter with man, so please make that happen for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the question asked to Jesus by the rich young ruler. And as we begin to study these two stories, I want to keep this question in the front of our mind. Because there's no more important question that you will ever ask in your entire life than this one. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I get to heaven? How can I experience the kingdom of God eternity. Jesus doesn't leave us hanging without an answer. 
It is clear that the reason that these two stories are in the Bible are to show us how to gain eternal life. So this is the foundation of our text as we study it. So we have to keep that question in the front of our minds. But before we dive in, let's remember what's happening at this point in the book of Luke. So Pastor Jason has faithfully been leading us through the gospel Ever, and ever since the end of chapter 9, Jesus has been on the road to Jerusalem. Text says he set his face on Jerusalem. So for the past 9 to 10 chapters, Jesus has been journeying with his disciples, teaching them all that they need to know, telling these parables, also ministering to the lowly and to the broken. And he's doing this all while going to the cross. And the studies, I mean, the, the stories we are studying um, this morning, we're almost at the end of that journey. For The next chapter is going to be the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So this is kind of where we are in the gospel timeline. And Luke tells us sometimes, or at some time, while Jesus was teaching, that, and Jesus was telling these parables, that people started to bring babies. They started to bring infants to Jesus so that he would bless them. And this was a common practice for Jewish people, as they wanted their kids to be blessed by the local rabbi, so they would bring them to the rabbi. And the disciples, thinking this was a waste of time for their leader, for their teacher, started to rebuke the people. Now, I don't think this is a main point of the story, but I don't think it can go unstated. The disciples thought Jesus didn't have time to bless the babies because they viewed the kids, they viewed the babies as a waste of time. They were guilty of something I'm often guilty of. I think all of us are if we're honest. We so often think that the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to save sinners, is only for those worthy of hearing the message. We, like the disciples, put boundaries on who we think is deserving of the gospel. And we have to flee this sort of lie, because it is from the devil. Because what this story shows us is that the gospel is for everybody, even those who society and culture deem worthless. I'd say especially for those who the culture finds worthless. Because the truth is that in this Jewish culture, they did not value babies or infants because they were of no benefit to adults. They were viewed as burdens, like a waste of time, like I said. And Jesus, in a radical moment, says, listen, those kids, those babies are worthy of my time. Let them come to me because I am for them. I am for those that can provide me nothing. So we can't put boundaries on who gets to receive the gospel Because Jesus is for all people. Jesus never bars access to himself because every single person is significant to him. Even infants, babies, who can literally provide him nothing. But then Jesus takes this story about receiving infants and he turns it into a principle on how one can receive the kingdom of God or how one can gain eternal life. Which leads to our our first point this morning, which is, we must be fully dependent on and trusting of God to gain eternal life. 
We must be fully dependent on and trusting of God to gain eternal life. This is Jesus' point in receiving the infants. He says something astonishing. Jesus says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like an infant, like a little child, will never enter it. How? That, that needs to sober us. That you and I will spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell. Never enter God's kingdom if we don't receive the kingdom like an infant. So what, what does that even mean? I know we've heard the saying, if we've been in church, have childlike faith. But I think what is more accurate of this text is to have infant-like faith, because these are babies. What does it look like to have infant-like faith? What can babies, what can infants even do? And I think the point is, they can do nothing, right? Infants, babies, can literally do nothing in their own strength. Think about it. Those of you with infants or have had infants, or even if you haven't, you can imagine. Let's picture putting a baby down for a nap. What would happen if you never went back to care for it? Would it start changing its own diapers? Would it start feeding itself? No. I think we all know the infant would do nothing. Because they're totally dependent on their parent or caretaker to care for them. They can't do anything in their own strength. And what Jesus is saying is that this is how we must be with him, with God, to gain eternal life. We must be ourselves like infants to God, not able to do anything apart from him. An infant, a baby, is completely and totally dependent on their parent to care for them. And we must be completely and totally dependent on Jesus to care and to lead us. So what does this practically look like? Because I know all of us in this room who are Christian, we would recognize and we would say that we are children of God. But do we view ourselves as infants of God, literally dependent on him for everything? Or do we rely on ourselves, our actions, our faith, our good works to ultimately save us? Because the warning of this text is that If our faith is based on our strength, our good works, our behavior, our anything, then we won't enter his kingdom. So the first thing I'd say infant-like or childlike faith looks like is how do we view salvation? Do we have the belief that there is some work, something we have to do to gain eternal life? Because I think the story tells us that the way we should view salvation, the way to gain eternal life is with a total dependence on Jesus, a complete humbling of the self. Infant-like faith means that we first recognize that there's nothing we can do in our own power, in our own strength, to be made right with God. There is no action, no work that will ever make you or I right with God. But what Jesus is saying is that a confession that you are fully dependent, a confession that you can do nothing apart from him, is exactly the posture we need to enter the kingdom. It's exactly what we need to gain eternal life. Absolute surrender is necessary to be a disciple of Jesus. We have to be a people marked by this humble submission to Jesus. We have to be a people who view ourselves 
like an infant, totally, 100% dependent on God for everything. Luke then goes on in the story and tells one of the saddest stories, I think, in all of the scripture. And it further explains how one can gain or how one can have eternal life. A rich ruler approaches Jesus and he asks that all-important question I stated at the beginning. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus responds with saying, he must follow the law. And the man is confident when he hears this because to him, he believes he's followed these commandments since his youth. The ruler thinks he's in pretty good shape if that's all that is required of him for eternal life. But then Jesus drops this bombshell that reveals the true nature of the ruler's heart. Jesus says, there's one more thing you have to do. You have to sell everything you own and you have to give it to the poor. And then after you do that, come follow me with the rest of your life. And the ruler's response is truly tragic. All we see is that he becomes extremely sad because he's wealthy. You see, the ruler understood what Jesus was instructing, but he willingly chose to reject it. And ultimately, he spent an eternity apart from God. Now, we have to be clear before we go on in the story what Jesus is not saying, because Jesus is not saying that to be saved, you have to sell everything you own. This misses the point entirely. And that would actually be a work or action that would lead to salvation. And the story right before this about the infants tells the opposite, that we have to be dependent on God to save us. But the point is, Jesus commanded this man to sell all of his possessions to force the ruler to fully trust in Jesus. You see, the rich man was dependent on his possessions. He was dependent on his wealth which caused him to not trust Jesus like an infant trusts a parent. It caused him to not have infant-like faith, which leads to our second point. To be fully dependent on God, we must rid our lives of anything that hinders us from following Jesus. To be fully dependent on God, we must rid our lives of anything that hinders us from following Jesus. In the case of the rich ruler, this was his wealth, right? And Jesus goes on to say, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is because we have to think of everything that money provides, or we, th- or we think that money provides. Money and wealth are typically seen as a source of comfort and security in this life. We tend to think that if we just get enough money, if we just get enough wealth, if we just gain enough possessions, then we'll, just, we'll be good. We'll be set. But the danger with wealth, and Jesus' point is that it can easily cause us to not depend and trust on God. How easy is it for us to trust in the comforts that we think money can buy? Security, retirement, just being set financially. They can all distract the disciple on being faithful followers of Jesus. Because like we said earlier, to be a disciple of Christ, we must be wholly dependent on him like an infant. And the illusion that wealth gives us is that we no longer need God. We no longer need to depend on him because we're set. We have everything we could need. We have all the earthly pleasures we could ever want. 
And this is the great danger of wealth. And Jesus then told one of his most famous sayings, he said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus literally says it would be easier for the largest animal that they were aware of in Palestine to pass through one of the smallest items a person would deal with, a needle. And the point of this illustration from Jesus is that it is impossible for rich people in their own strength to gain eternal life. But the greater point is that it's impossible for anybody in their own strength to gain eternal life. And this is important to remember that everyone that follows Jesus, everyone that is a disciple of Jesus, has a different path. We all struggle with different idols. We all struggle with putting different things before God. It's not money for all of us. But the universal, I think the universal truth of this story is that God demands from all his disciples that he be trusted and he have the first place in our hearts. So maybe you're like the rich ruler and you've placed your trust, you've placed your life in your wealth. Maybe you're like me and you tend to put your trust in what you know, how much you can read or your intellect, how much knowledge you have. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's a spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend that you, you put your, your trust in. Maybe even your kids. The point is we all have things that we have to limit or stamp out of our lives that get in the way of number one, which is God, right? We all have idols, and we must recognize what these idols are. And I think it's telling that Jesus uses wealth in this story because he knows even to this day that the main thing people would put before God would, would be money and wealth, possessions. And the call from some of you from this text may be to sell some possessions so that you can fully rely on Jesus and you can serve the poor. Maybe it is that you have to rid your life of some luxury so that you can depend on Jesus more. But I know for all of us, we have to identify what in our life do we tend to put before God. And then we have to do whatever we can whatever we can to eliminate that thing. And look, it can be good things. Sometimes those are the most dangerous. Like being wealthy is not inherently bad. This is what I'm striving to do, to get more money, to get more security. Being wealthy has a lot of benefits in this life. But like every good thing, there is a danger that that good thing takes the place of the ultimate thing, God, which is what the true tragedy is. We can't have the response of the rich ruler. We can't willingly reject the call from Jesus to sacrifice. Because we all have things, as followers of Jesus, we all have things that we must sacrifice. Sacrifice is part of the Christian life. As we move on in the story, we see the disciples' response. I think the NIV says, those that heard, which is a common phrase Luke used for the disciples. And they say, well, if this rich young ruler can't be saved, then it's impossible for anyone to be saved. The reason they thought this, because in their Jewish culture, wealth was seen as having God's blessing. And I think we have a similar view. We tend to think that those are rich are blessed by God. The wealthy must be in better standing with God because God has given them more. But... I just want to pose this question. Is it really a blessing to have more wealth 
if that money and those possessions will ultimately keep you from heaven. Like, I, I think we need to change our view of what blessing is because getting more stuff is not a blessing if that stuff keeps you from depending and trusting on Jesus. Blessing really is anything that causes us to rely more on Jesus and not ourselves and our stuff. And as hard as this is, maybe we need to start viewing our pain, our trials, the pain and suffering we experience in this life as blessing. Because they're the things that tend us to cause us to trust in Jesus, to trust in God the most. We can say with one of my favorite preachers of all time, of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, which I think I have it up, yeah. One of the best quotes of all time. He said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Meaning, he's learned to embrace, to view as blessing the trials and pains that make him rely on God more, that push him up against the rock of ages, that push him up against God. We have to adopt this view so we can be like James in James 1-2, and he says, consider it pure joy when you face suffering. But the disciples have the same reaction we probably would have had. They saw this rich ruler as being blessed by God. He followed God's laws, right? He said he followed all his commandments since his youth. And Jesus' point is he's, he's not going to get eternal life. And they respond with, then who can be saved? In effect, they're saying, if that guy can't be saved, then nobody can. The disciples are pleading, is there any hope for anyone? Which leads to our last point. It's just, God makes the impossible possible. I thought about writing, trying to make a more clever point, but I couldn't think of anything better than what Jesus said himself, right? The disciples' question was well-founded. This wasn't a time when the disciples were wrong or being dumb. Because, look, the point of this story is that they are absolutely right to wonder how anyone can be saved. Because the rich ruler shows us that no one can be saved in their own power, trusting in their own strength, trusting in their possessions, trusting in anything of their own. It is impossible for anyone, rich or poor, powerful or weak, to save oneself. No one can gain eternal life by themselves. And this is where the great hope of this text lies. So don't miss this. Jesus gives one of the greatest responses in all of Scripture at this seemingless, hopeless situation. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. He's saying, yes, it is impossible for man to save himself. It is 100% true that we are utterly hopeless to gain eternal life left to ourselves, yet God is so powerful that he makes the impossible possible. Salvation is in his hands, not ours. God is powerful enough to change our hearts. And we have to get this. The, the rich ruler's story doesn't have to be our story. We don't have to, to respond to Jesus' call to sacrifice by being sad. We don't have to be hopeless because we follow a God that can break any idol, the idol of wealth. We serve a God that can break the chains of any idol. He can do the impossible. He can cause us to rid our lives of anything that gets in the way of him. 
So when you view yourself as no more than an infant, totally dependent at the feet of God, incapable of anything good on your own, then Scripture says you've humbled yourself to the point where God's going to use you in mighty ways. And that's why this story ends with Peter, who speaks up for the disciples, as he usually does. He said, Lord Jesus, we've left all we had to follow you. As Peter realizes in that moment, with Jesus, with God, the impossible is made possible. He recognizes that he and the other disciples had already given up everything to follow Jesus. They had already passed the test. The rich ruler couldn't. Jesus had already performed the miracle in their life, making the impossible possible by changing their hearts so that they would be willing to give up everything to follow him. And this is where we have to find ourselves in the story. Because we are now disciples of Christ. We are now the followers of Jesus. If you are here this morning and you've experienced salvation, if you're here and you've experienced the new birth of being born again in Jesus, it is nothing short of a miracle. Look at what the text says. It was impossible, impossible for you to save yourself. No amount of good works could have saved you. The only reason you are sitting here saved is not because you're a good person or you did the right things, but because Jesus did the impossible and changed your heart so that you could trust in him and be saved. And when we get this, it's no longer a sacrifice than to give up our earthly possessions like the rich ruler couldn't. Jesus ends the story with such a hopeful truth. He says, look, If you give up possessions, even relationships, close relationships, for his sake, your reward of eternal life will be beyond comparison. So we have to stop viewing giving up things for Jesus as sacrifice. And I'll try to explain what I mean, because it is hard. I don't want to give the impression that it is easy, but if in 10,000 years you're going to be worshiping God with your brother Jesus, then giving up your possessions now seems kind of small. If in a million years you're going to be hanging out with your friends in heaven, with your best friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, then giving up those friendships to go spread the gospel abroad or spread the gospel here is worth it. If in a billion years you're singing the praises and perfect joy and peace with no less time than when you started then what is giving up your comforts here on earth? The point Jesus is making is that eternal life is going to be so amazing that the sacrifices you make now will will not matter in comparison. We have to be a people that believe that. How, How radically different would our lives look if we lived with that end in mind? If we live knowing that eternity in heaven is waiting for us. So no sacrifice is too big for us. I pray that that kind of faith would be the mark of my life. Pray that that kind of faith would be the mark of this church. Let's be a people that view ourselves 
as infants, as babies before a perfect and holy God. Let's view ourselves as totally dependent on him to save us, totally dependent on him to work good through us. And let's rid our lives of those things that we put before God, whether it's wealth, whatever it is. Let's trust that God can do the impossible and save any and everyone that humbles himself because the gospel is for everybody. So if you are here, if you're here and you have never trusted in Jesus to save you, you've never experienced the blessing of new birth in Christ, then make today that day. Cry out to Jesus right now in the quietness of your own heart in prayer and say, God, I can do nothing apart from you. I can do no good. Nothing I can do can save myself. Save me, God. I am a sinner. And the promise of Scripture is that you will be saved. So if that's you, don't ignore that call in your heart. You could have gone to church your whole life. And you, and you could hear this and say, I don't think, if you're honest, you could say, I don't think I'm willing to give up everything for Jesus. I don't think I'm willing to give up everything for God. Just ask him right now. Ask him. I can do nothing without you. Humble yourself to that position, and the promise is he will exalt you. You will spend eternity with him in heaven. So make today the day that you surrender your life to Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is 100% true. And that it is beneficial for all of our lives. Pray that you would show us in our lives where we, we put our trust in ourselves. Break us to the point where we can only depend on you like a crying baby depends on its mother. Show us the idols in our life, whether it's wealth, money, Loved ones, anything, show us where we put our trust in other things besides you and do whatever you have to do to eliminate those things so that we can be a people that fully rely on you. And God, if there's anyone in here that does not know you, pray that you would open up their hearts, that you would speak to them in this moment, that you would say, you are my child. And bring them home. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.